Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Jay Wesley Richards with us. The price of panic. And there is panic still out there, Jay. I mean, I remember when this first started, and uh, there was a little tiny story I had back in December that talked about how one person had gotten sick in Wuhan, China, eating a quote-unquote tainted bat from a wet market. Then about a week later, we found out there was a viral lab in Wuhan. I, I have put together my theory that this thing started there. What do you think about that? Yeah, we think the, the same thing, if, if we were to guess. And so we actually looked at uh, the, the sequence of the virus. And, of course, there are these rumors that maybe it was engineered. So there's sort of separate questions. There's the question, okay, where exactly did it come from? Did it come from the wet market? Or did it come from the really the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Uh, and then is it natural or is it artificial? We think there's, it could be artificial, but there's nothing in the sequence of the RNA of the virus uh, that suggests that it looks it's very much like known viruses that come from these bats but these bats aren't from uh, the, the general area of Wuhan. They're not native there, but we know that this lab uh, uses these bats in their research. And in fact, uh, the State Department just a couple of years uh, prior to, to this event actually had, had issued a report saying we're worried about the security uh, protocols for the Wuhan Institute yeah. of Virology. And so I, we Jeez. honestly think that the most likely scenario is that it actually accidentally leaked from the, the Institute, the wet market story is the sort of thing that is, we think that's really designed to appeal to American prejudices, because anyone that's been in China or Asia, they look exotic to us. You know, I've, I've been to these, and you can see them, you know, they're slaughtering the pig in the back, and so it's as fresh as it could possibly be. Uh, but these are everywhere in China, and so this idea that uh, it just came from the wet market, we think that's ah, too convenient, especially with this lab right nearby. So if we were betting, we would we would bet uh, that this just unfortunately leaked. And, you know, then China had to figure out, okay, how do, how do they try to cover for it? And one of the things they, I think they said is they wanted us to all believe the wet market story and a bunch of other things, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And it spread so fast back in January of this year, I said it was airborne. Now, nobody officially was saying it at that time. You know, they were saying that you get it when someone spits on you or something. Then I said, no, 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 no. It doesn't spread that fast. By that, there's not that much human contact that close. It's airborne. It's all over the place. Exactly right. And in fact, in January, uh, uh, Dr. Tedros, the head of the World Health Organization, was still insisting uh, that there was no evidence even of human-to-human transmission. And then once they conceded that, even until just a few weeks ago, they said, well, the primary way that this is probably transmitted is either surfaces or by large droplets. And so that's the sort of logic of this six-foot rule is that, well, if it's sort of large spit and things like that, if you wear a cheap mask, maybe it'll prevent that. Well, there's a lot of evidence now that this is largely transmitted by aerosol. So essentially smoke. I mean, these are tiny particles that, yeah, in principle, they can be captured by a properly fitted N95 mask, which almost no one wears, and no one's going to wear it properly fitted. Um, and so that's, that's the basic reality. That's how these viral uh, respiratory viruses tend to get transmitted. And what that essentially means is, look, unless you're going to spread everybody out across the plains in South Dakota and put them in hazmat suits, this stuff is going to spread. What do you recommend in your group, Jay? What do you recommend that we should start doing? What we think that should we, we should do is uh, what Sweden did with one exception. We think that Sweden's approach was basically right, except they did not 
focus on the nursing homes. Sweden has a huge number of its population in nursing homes. So a lot of the retired folks in, in Sweden are, are, are sort of congregated together in these large nursing homes. And, you know, early on they decided because their public health minister resisted the pressure and said, okay, look, this doesn't make any sense. We don't have any evidence that lockdowns are going to help. This looks like a, you know, it could be a bad virus, but it's not going to be historic and it doesn't make any sense for us to shut our civilization down over that. Uh, but what they didn't do is focus protection, and they now admit that. The public health minister says, yeah, um, in, in the future we're going to know to do that. And so that's what we actually think should happen. The people that we know are at really high risk do everything we can to isolate them and to protect them, to keep their atmosphere uh, sanitary and clean and do the kinds of extreme things that you can do for small numbers of people, and then let the rest of us use our private knowledge, our local knowledge about our own particular situation just like we always do. We all do different things in the winter if we hear the flu is bad or if we are weak and have weak lungs, you know, you're going to do something different than maybe a 20-year-old football player. But that's actually how it ought to be handled because really what you want to have happen is the people that are at very, very little risk of this you want them to build up immunity. And so if a large percentage of the population has at least some immunity, then those people that are at really high risk are much safer because they're less likely to catch it from someone else. Are the numbers real, Jay? I mean, what I, I still don't hear any media people reporting on flu deaths. Uh, you know, no. we, we have upwards of 60,000, upwards of 60,000 people die every year, they say, from the flu. I don't hear anything about that. I have a feeling these numbers that are we're hearing are inflated, and that they've got a whole mixture of all other deaths tossed into that. We absolutely think that's probably the case. It's something that, honestly, I didn't know until we started working on this book, is that even flu deaths, we we figure out what those are after the fact. So we got this illusion this, this year that you can actually count these deaths uh, in real time, day by day, you know, we're looking at these tickers, that's actually not even possible. And so the way we figure out flu deaths after the fact is we basically tabulate all the death certificates, everything that everyone sort of died from, and then they're actually complex but fairly accurate models that allow us to say, okay, what were the excess deaths for that year? And then a certain number is assigned to flu. But every individual flu case is not counted in that way. Um, and so we know that um, essentially the coronavirus is killing a lot of the people that are otherwise killed by the flu. I mean, the reality is we all have a limited lifespan. And we all end up dying of something. And so flu often kills us in some complication from the flu, kills a large number of people. It's not necessarily a flu by itself. It sort of turns into pneumonia or something like that. And so if you have another uh, virus, in this case a coronavirus, sort of occupying the same ecological spaces, influenza, what's likely happened is that a lot of people that might very well have died of the flu died of this this year, and we're going to know that in 2021. We're going to be able to look back, the CDC is going to have good numbers, and we're going to be able to cash that out. Unfortunately, right now, all the incentive is to attribute absolutely every possible death and every possible sickness to the coronavirus. Everyone is sort of invested in that, either public health officials, it's certainly the media, they're invested in that. Um, and so they are almost certainly inflated. We're confusing uh, dying with the coronavirus. You might have died of absolutely anything. In fact, there are people that died of suicide that because they tested positive or are tagged as a coronavirus death, that's going to have to get washed out. And so these, this kind of 200,000 deaths that we're hearing about, 
We think it's actually the reality is it's going to be much lower than, than that, but we're not going to be able to nail it down probably for a year. Jay, Johnson & Johnson has uh, delayed its vaccine trial. This is now the second pharmaceutical company to have some kind of problem. Uh, yet, you know, we hear words that they might mandate a vaccine. Who in God's name would want a vaccine when it's not tried and uh, true? That's exactly right. I mean, look, if this were Ebola and everybody was looking around and saying, okay, I've got a, you know, a 30% chance of dying unless I do something, okay, then that's a different risk calculation. But if you're 25 years old, you're just basically at no risk of death from this coronavirus. And so the idea that I'm going to take this, uh, this, this vaccine for a coronavirus, which by the way, we have never approved, the FDA has never approved a, a vaccine for a coronavirus, and you're going to take this thing that's untested that was produced in a matter of months that the risk is just it's astronomical and so i certainly wouldn't do it for myself i'm in my 50s i wouldn't do it and if i were in my 20s or 30s or 40s absolutely there's no way that we're going to do that and i think that we need to not be imagining that a, a good vaccine is going to be right around the corner i don't even like people talking about it i wish the president wouldn't talk about it because it sort of gives another argument for maintaining the lockdowns they'll say well vaccine is just around the corner let's just keep everything locked down and keep the kids out of school until we get one. That, that's cr- a crazy strategy. Would you open up all schools? Would you open up all concerts? Would you open up all sporting events to 100% population? I would absolutely open up all the schools. I think that, um, honestly, I think that that's the sort of thing that ought to be at the discretion of local cities and states. It's good that we are able to try different things in different places. It's good, for instance, the governor DeSantis in, in uh, Florida was able to, he looked at a lot of the same science. He actually consulted the scientists, and he decided we're not going to shut down the state. We're going to protect nursing homes, and we're going to focus on that. And so I think it's good that you have these kind of, this, a bit of local control to be able to do different things because a city in principle should be able to uh, bob and weave given new evidence when you're trying to do things that is centralized trying to do it at the federal level or even even at the state level you, you can't really adjust to those things and as we've seen um, in some parts of the country, the coronavirus seems not to have much of an effect. Uh, of course, it hit, it hit New York and Connecticut and New Jersey really, really hard. And so I think it makes sense that maybe in New York, under certain circumstances, they'd want to limit large numbers of people and large concerts, at least temporarily. It doesn't make sense that that should be imposed upon everyone. Well, absolutely. I, and I'll tell you, Jay, what I think is the dumbest, compelling thing I've ever heard, and that is, You must wear a mask walking into the restaurant, but you can take it off when you sit down. Now, obviously, you can't eat with a mask on. But my point is, if you have to wear it, if you're mandated to wear it walking in, but you can sit down at a table, take it off, and as long as you're at the table, it can be off. I mean, that makes no sense. It either works or it either works or it doesn't work. <laughs> it's one or the other, and the, the reality is that when it comes to masks, the last thing you want to be doing is taking them on and off. They're, it's filtering stuff on its outside surface. You're touching it on your hands. Uh, it's really, honestly, I think it's it's just pure hygiene theater, and it's another one of these things that we've gotten sort of forced into doing, and now uh, a lot of officials are, are um, invested in that, and frankly, a lot of people. I have neighbors, unfortunately, in our neighborhood, and suburban Washington, D.C., we're walking around in, in the middle of the sunshine, uh, and neighbors will scowl at us because we don't have masks on. We've, we've kind of internalized this thing, unfortunately. Where do people get your book, The Price of Panic? 
anywhere books are sold, Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com. You can just actually Google the name, The Price of Panic. Now, if you believe polls, Joe Biden is going to slaughter President Donald Trump in the election. I think it's going to be very, very close. Uh, I, I, I could not predict right now who I think would win. But there's no question that COVID-19 has helped Joe Biden and has hurt Donald Trump. What do you think? Absolutely. I do think that's true. I'm, I'm as skeptical of the polls now as I was in 2016. I'm more skeptical now that we've had 2016 in the rearview mirror. You've I seen that, sure. Yeah, really strong incentive for Trump supporters, actually, not to tell pollsters that. But I do think, I mean, the reality is the president had historically low levels of unemployment. The economy was going gangbusters. And then, of course, the lockdowns just shut that down. I think on the other side, though, Joe Biden, so far as I can tell, his policy position on this is that the lockdowns are devastating, and that's President Trump's fault, and therefore we need more lockdowns. So far as I can tell, that's his position. And so I, it's not that he has a stronger position. Amazing. Is, well, who's going to have the guts to take these lockdowns up, away? Well, honestly, I think President Trump is just about there. If you look at the things he's been saying in the last couple of days, in fact, he took notice uh, that the special envoy for COVID-19 from the World Health Organization three days ago actually said, he said publicly, we think governments need to quit using lockdowns as their primary strategy. In fact, the main thing the lockdowns have done is devastated economies and especially devastated the poor. The media is mostly not reporting that in the United States, but I noticed President President Trump noticed it today and said exactly right and called for Democratic governors to open up. And so at least from what he can do in his bully pulpit as the president, he can at least uh, badger governors that are locking down. But of course, ultimately in our constitutional system, it's going to be up to the governors to do that. Jay, I couldn't believe some of the uh, major news networks, cable networks specifically, when this started in this country back in January, daily results of infections and deaths scrawling across the screen every hour on the hour all the time and i'm looking at this and i'm going crazy and again i i say to myself at no time have they ever in their history reported on flu deaths with crawls and scrolls and bulletins and things like that and i'm saying to myself they're gonna they're gonna destroy people's minds with this stuff I think you are exactly right. I mean, honestly, it was that conviction that led us to buckle down and write this book in, in three months, essentially, is because we realized, okay, we're dealing, yes, with a viral contagion, but the real story of 2020 is this social contagion. And it's a social contagion that was aided and abetted by the mainstream media and by the immediacy of social media in which we had these things brought directly to our eyes, some weird outlier event that's maybe a one-in-a-billion event. Uh, suddenly there's a video of a man dying on the street in China. Everyone sees it, and we think that's going to happen everywhere. Um, this idea that you can even count the deaths uh, in real time is illusory. But to do that to the population all day, every day, it was bound to lead to a panic, and that's why still the polls say that about – Half of the population are saying, well, they're scared to go out. They're certainly scared to go outside without a mask. That's who we blame for that. I think ultimately we've got to blame uh, the mainstream media that has programmed us to think this way over the last several months. Every month, 220-some thousand Americans die from everything. Every yeah. month, just in America, 220,000 Americans are dying from Heart attacks, car crashes, suicides, falling out of bed, you name it, they're dying. 
They don't report that. Of course not. No, we take this for granted, and that's the sort of thing. Um, we could whip ourselves into a panic all day, every day, if the media decided to focus on any one subset of those desks that you just mentioned. They decided to focus on this, and most people aren't walking around with that perspective. We don't really know how many people die every day or every month or every week, and so we don't have a way of putting it in perspective. And so we end up overreacting, and so the overreaction ends up costing more lives, uh, more of our fortunes, more of our psychological well-being than the virus itself. That's the true tragedy of it. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.